0: We are in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. Uh, Pastor Jeff said, fourth Sunday of Advent. We're in a series, a four-part series on Advent. I'm on peace. Peace, if, you're, um, if you'd be reading the text in the Bible about Christ's incarnation, peace is a significant theme. So there's much going on in our world to unsettle us, and so we thought i focus on peace, the peace of God, uh, with the advent of Christ might be helpful to you. All right, so older kids, before you look at the text, um, who did? Who? What, what? What's the name of the Roman ruler who told everyone to go and be registered in their hometown? So older kids here, anybody know? Caesar. Yeah, who said that? Did Mason say that? <laughs> So much for older kids. Ready to go, Mason. So Caesar Augustus, and then we all know, who did the angels appear to announce the birth of Christ? Shepherds, right? You have this contrast right away. In Luke chapter 2, you have the, the ruler, the earthly ruler of the known world, Caesar Augustus, sending all of his messengers to command that everyone be inconvenienced and travel and uh, take part in the census. And then you have the king of the world sending his messengers to shepherds. And so totally different. The ruler of the earth inconveniences the whole world, and the ruler of the whole world comes to small little shepherds and tells them the great news of great joy of the birth of a son. And so you have this humility going on in this text, something we're going to going to look at this humility. Let's read it. This is Luke 2, 1-21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem Father, thank you for your word. It is our portion that you've chosen to feed us with this morning. And we entreat you with all of our heart to be gracious to us according to all of your promises. Turn our feet to your testimony. Do not uh, keep, keep us from delaying to keep your commands. May we rise to praise you because our rules are righteous. God, may we, may we be companions to all those who fear you because we fear you ourselves. Your, uh, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Please now teach us your statutes by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have uh, the birth of Christ. You have the travel to Bethlehem, fulfilling the, the prophecy, the promise in Micah 5.2. You have the birth of Jesus, very humble, very simple, and in this birth, we see God's exhaustive control over everything. God had prophesied that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. They weren't in Bethlehem. How are they going to go to Bethlehem when she's very close to giving birth? Well, God ordains that Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the world, would cause all of humanity, basically, to go to their hometown to be registered. And so God is sovereign over the king. He's sovereign over where Joseph was Uh, from sovereign over the timing of it all. And so we have this very humble birth uh, in light of God's complete and exhaustive control over every detail of everything. And so there's great wonder in this text. And the wonder then comes after Christ is born. Shepherds are in the same region out in the field keeping watch over their flocks at night and an angel appears. It's not the first time we've seen an angel in the birth of Christ. But now an angel appears to shepherds. Uh, The angel reveals to them what has taken place, this good news of great joy. They're afraid. Fear not. There's great news. And then it's noted that uh, unto them is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And that that's the good news of great joy. And that news is for all people. Now, all people there doesn't mean Everyone in the world is going to get saved. It does mean that everybody should hear this good news. But typically when it talks about all people in the Bible, it's talking about all kinds of people. This isn't just for the Jews. This is going to be for everybody, even lowly shepherds. And he would come throughout the Bible. We have this promise that Christ, the Son of God, would come. And he would come to bring the gospel, the salvation news to all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all kinds That's what the angel is telling them. they praise God. So after this news, the shepherds who are included in this, all people, suddenly, unexpectedly, immediately, a multitude. Uh, This this language here, heavenly host, multitude, is uh, military language. These, you probably shouldn't picture here, soft-looking, peaceful angels in long-flowing robes. This would be... A terrifying angelic army suddenly appearing in the sky, all shouting at the. So, so think Braveheart before the final battle. That kind of feel. Don't think choir. It would have been awesome. Thunderous. And they shout, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels depart, they listen, the angels told them where the Son of God would be born and what they would see, Um, telling them to go check it out. The the shepherds listen and they go with haste, it's noted. They go with haste to see the Son of God. And so there's an easy application for you. They're eager to go see the Son, are you? They go immediately they don't take time to make sure that the flock is okay. They don't make sure that everything's in order. They, they just go. They go in a hurry to the Son of God. They have an eagerness of heart to see him. Do you? Do you have that kind of heart for Christ? After seeing the Son of God, after telling those who had given to gather, it looks like there's more than just Mary and Joseph and uh, the Christ there. It says in verse 18, And all who heard it wondered, So the shepherds return after this, and they return glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen has been told. And that's kind of like what we do every Sunday. We come to hear again of Christ, and we should leave glorifying and praising God, hearing again the reality that our sins are forgiven. This is an every Sunday thing. One of the the things to take note of when you're reading Luke Luke is Luke is heavy on details. He's heavy on precise names. In places and dates Why? Why does Luke tell us that it was Caesar Augustus? Why does he tell us it was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria? Why does he give us names of places, names of people? Why does he give us these details? Well, it's because it happened, and because those who were receiving this, this gospel could have gone and checked. He likely traveled and talked to these people. He he wants you to know that this is true. This isn't myth. This isn't fable. This actually happened. These things happened. So this is true. Well, uh, the focus of our um, Advent sermon series has been on peace. And so ver- look at verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom... He is pleased. This is what the angels said. This is what the angels praised God saying. Glory to God and peace on earth for those with whom God is pleased. Let's take a moment here and just talk about angels. Angelology. You have this sudden appearance as from nowhere. So Angels aren't bound by matter and time and place like you and I are. They can appear and be gone in an instant. They have no bodies, and yet they can be seen. They don't have vocal cords, and yet they can speak. They're messengers sent by God. And throughout the Bible, they're messengers sent by God to God's people. In Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits set out to uh, to serve for the sake of those whom are to inherit salvation? And so angels serve God's people. It's still true today. They're glorious. They reflect the glory of God like the moon reflects the glory of the sun. They're fearful. They're a Heavenly hosts are innumerable. They're militaristic. The shepherds are afraid of one of them. They're terrifying. They exist to glorify God and to serve the peace of God's people. What can we take from this? Well, one of the realities that we can take, especially for us in our day, We're rather materialistic. By materialistic here, I don't mean that we just love stuff, although that could be true. I just mean that we don't think much beyond what we can see and touch and hear. That there is an entire unseen realm beyond what you can perceive with your senses. That we live in a world with angels and demons spiritual beings beyond our comprehension. We live as though all we see is all there is. So we we live without the awe of this unseen realm. That these angelic beings give glory to God and care about our peace. And I think it's helpful, particularly during this season, to consider this. The book of Hebrews says to not, not neglect to... Show hospitality because you might be entertaining angel unaware, angels unaware. That's common. I don't mean that it's common for us to see them. I don't mean that it's common for them to speak to us. Typically, they just show up when there's very important central biblical realities in God's saving history. Probably shouldn't go around seeking to see angels. And yet they're there. It's a reality. Now, the glory of the angels, the mystery of the angels, is in stark contrast to the humility of Christ's birth. It's humble. Joseph and Mary are humble people. You know that Joseph was a carpenter. Mary was a young woman waiting to get married. They're poor. They're humble people. The circumstances of the birth is, are humble. Bethlehem, though it was the... The city of David is a small place. It's an insignificant place. Typically, Christians were derogatorily referred to as Nazarenes. You might remember when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. They said, could anything good come from Nazareth? It was a, it was a backwater place. It was the Oneida County of Wisconsin. It was Nothing. Christ himself, though he's the Son of God, was born in Bethlehem. There wasn't room in the inn, so they're born likely in the stable area, the place that the animals were sheltered. So, so it's, all, it's all humble. Sh- the, the angels appear to shepherds out in a field. Everything here is little, low, insignificant. The world isn't told. Just shepherds are told. Later on in Luke, chapter 14, if you're following on the Bible reading program, we read through Luke this week. And in Luke 14, you have these two parables that are all about humility. You have the parable of of a great wedding feast followed by the parable of a great banquet. In the parable of the wedding feast, you have this person putting on this big feast. And uh, when you're invited into the wedding feast, the caution is don't, don't go sit in the prominent place. Don't go sit in the best place. Be humble. Like, sit in a place that shows those there that you don't think you're much of anything, that you're just glad to be there, that you're a Nobody. So that when the Lord of the Feast sees you seated in the humble place, they'll, hey, come on up here. Whereas if you're seated in the highest place and the Lord of the Feast sees you there and says, oh, that's a little too high for you. Why don't you back it up a few tables? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and you humble yourself will be exalted. That's what we're seeing in this parable. The shepherds are lowly people and now they're exalted, aren't they? We talk about them all the time. In the next parable, the parable of the great banquet, you see this man who has set up a, a great banquet. He invited all the important people. Right? He he invited all the all the high people, and then when the banquet's ready and they go out, and all of them making excuses. I I bought a field. I got to go check it out. I just bought some oxen. I got to go examine them. I just got married. I I can't come. So all the important people, all the cool kids are too good for the banquet. And so the servants are sent then to the the humble, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And, And they come in. Go on the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited shall taste my banquet. This is what Luke 2 is about. If you think yourself something, you'll be nothing in the kingdom. And if you see yourself as nothing, you'll be welcomed into the kingdom. So it's no mistake that the angels are sent by the Lord to the shepherds. The kingdom of God belongs to the humble. Now the thing with the humble is they don't know they're humble. They just live. Humble people just don't think about themselves. They're not consumed with whether or not they're humble. If you're wondering about whether or not you're humble, you're not. Because you're just worrying about yourself. You're just thinking about yourself. Your focus is just on yourself. Humble people just aren't considering themselves. They're not worried about place or position. They're not concerned with what others are. Look, they're just not concerned with themselves. They're not self-focused people. Now, the proud think they're humble. The humble don't think whether or not they're proud or humble. They're just not thinking about themselves. The proud are always convinced that they're humble. Look how humble I am. And so there is nothing so awful in the Bible as pride. We sometimes think that it's amazing when God saves a wretched sinner who's crazy, sexually immoral, or been strung out on drugs, or, you know, has done really heinous stuff. But in the Bible, those things aren't the really bad things. The really bad thing is pride. That God would save a proud person is incredible. Sometimes we say, like, oh my God would even save so-and-so. God would even save a proud person. And aren't we proud in our day? Aren't we something? The shepherds aren't proud. They're humble. They're nobodies. They work hard. They care for animals. They know what it's like to give themselves. They know what it's like to have to sleep out in a field without good rest because they care for an animal. They hurry on over to see the sun born, and they worship God. So God exalts those who are like sh- the, the shepherds. So this is what this story is inviting you to do: to humble yourself under God's mighty hand that He might exalt you, First Peter five: six. You see this repeatedly. If we want to connect that with peace, humble people no peace. Proud people never know peace. Proud people just don't have peace because they're very difficult to get along with. So if you're a sibling in your family and you're always at odds with your siblings, it's because you're proud. Right. Because you can never be wrong, because you can never stand one of your siblings slighting you. If you're in this church and you are always in drama with other church members just because you're proud. And this is inviting you to humble yourself. Humble yourself in this story. Look at what God has done. It's not about you. The focus is all on the sun here, isn't it? The focus is all on Christ. That's it, it's just, just Christ. So the angels come to these humble shepherds and they say something. They say, glory to God in the highest. And they say, on earth peace among those with whom he is peace. Glory to God in the highest. Again, there's the, there's the reality for a humble man or a humble woman. You want God's glory Above all else. That's what you live for. That's what you want. That's what you desire above all other desires. That's your greatest Christmas wish, to sentimentalize it. Glory to God in the highest. That's what you want. Well, the reason that they say glory to God in the highest is because that's simply true. There is no higher glory than God's glory. His glory is above all others. Creation is. All of creation was created as a reflection, a dim one, of the brightness of the glory of God. When you see what you see in creation, it is communicating to you that there is a glorious God who spoke this all into existence. Everything in this world is designed to you, for you, so that you can receive the news that God is the highest glory on the face of the earth, that there's nothing greater than seeing the glory of God. So all of creation exists to humble you. All of creation exists for you to go, wow. Children exist for this. Children exist for us proud adults to look at the beauty and significance and glory of a child and think there is a God in the heavens who knit that being together in his mother's womb. And of course, the child that gives most glory to God in heaven is the Son of God, Christ. So while creation is a reflection of the brightness of his glory, the glory of God shines the brightest in Christ. We give God glory for Christ. Why? Why? Well, when you consider who Jesus is, you're considering who God is. Jesus is God in the flesh. He is God in man. He is God as a human. He is God in humanity. He is the the God who took on what you are. And when you look at who Christ is, you're seeing who God is. So if you want to know who God is, look at Christ. And second, the reason that we give glory to God for Christ is because we were created by God in His image. We have fallen from Him. And so we deserve death. We are separated from the source of all life, from God. God is the source of life. He is the source of joy and happiness and peace and rest and everything good. And sin separates you from Him. Christ came so that you could be reconciled to him. That's why we give glory to God for Christ. Because you would have an an eternal, ruinous, miserable existence apart from Christ interceding for you. But we're too proud for that. Even now as you hear that news, it doesn't really do much to you, does it? Does it do anything to you to hear that news again? Does it it do anything to you to realize that you would have an eternity in hell, an actual physical, eternal pain and misery, unless Christ was born of a virgin, unless Christ lived a sinless life, unless Christ died on a cross in your place for your sin, unless Christ Rose and did, unless Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father where he rules over everything, unless Christ would come again, you would have nothing but eternal misery for which you deserve. You deserve it. And yet you're so proud that that just passes right over you. Can't you just get done with this? I got lunch coming. I got to get my day on. That's pride you don't glory in God for what Christ is doing here. They say glory to God in the highest, and they say peace on earth. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of this verse, this is a very familiar verse, verse 14, I often just think peace on earth. But that's not what it says. It says on earth peace, and and not just on earth peace, not just peace on earth, that's not, not what it says. It's on earth peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. Who, for whom is the peace that the angels are saying? It's not for the earth worldwide. It's not for all people everywhere of all time. It's a specific people here that the angels are speaking of. Who? Right? Kids, who? Who is the peace for? Give me one word that describes who the peace is for the second half of verse 14 here. Anybody, Ethan, what do you got? Yeah? what What men? More specific than that. You usually get this right, Ethan, yeah? Christians. The church. For us. That's spectacular. The angels want two things: glory to God, peace for God's church. That's it. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the song "I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day." We don't sing it at church. Maybe we should. It was written in 1863 by Henry Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. During the Civil War, his Wife, Fanny, had died two years prior when her house dress caught on fire as he tried to extinguish the flames. The Civil War was in full flame at that time, and he had just gotten news that his oldest son uh, had been shot and would likely be paralyzed for the rest of his life. He lived in the South, and the Union forces' cannons were thundering around him. He heard the bells on Christmas Day, as these, as as this sorrow was consuming him, and so he wrote the song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day; their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the world's repeat of peace on earth, good will to men. And thought how, as the day had come, at Christmas Day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, from each black, accursed mouth, the, can of, the cannon thundered in the south. And with the sound, the carols drowned. Right? So the, th- the, can- the thunder of the cannons was drowning the sound of the bells, drowning out peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head, wife dead, Son paralyzed, his country being defeated. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then, the, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The peace on earth that the angels here say is the peace for Christ's church. Why? Because Jesus said that his followers would not have peace. They would have trouble. Because we follow one who was crucified on a cross for subverting the world. He was charged with anarchy. He was charged with subverting the Roman peace. He Jesus was seen to be a disturber of the peace of political Rome. And we follow him. We are in conflict with this world. A Christian cannot live in this world without conflict. Our lives, our beliefs, our allegiances. If we're pleasing to God, we will be displeasing to the world. If we're Pleasing to the world, we will be displeasing to God. It's the choice. Angels, one or the other. And so the angels, knowing what we'll face, knowing what we're going to endure, because we follow Christ on, on earth, not for us to be taken out of earth, Not for us to live as hermits, but on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. So our peace is not found in the world, but while we're on the earth, we have peace. And this peace, of course, is with God. He is our peace, not this world, not the things of this world. God is our peace. So we have to have faith for this. We have to have faith that whatever God's doing in the world is for the peace of His church. We have to have faith that all the prayers we pay, God is going to answer them in a way that brings most peace for His church. He sent His Son in order that we might have peace with Him. His Spirit is here with us so that by the Spirit's private whispers we might know that we have peace with God that nothing is coming into our lives except that which the father's bring for the peace of his people we must have faith that what Christ said peace i my peace i leave with you my peace i give to you not as the world gives you let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid this is what the angels pray for a church that is going to have to be militant and our peace with God through Christ would work peace with each other peace in our hearts as we have trouble in the world isn't that something that this son of god came to the world and brought a lot of disturbance of peace peace and yet we who come to him by faith can actually have peace with god and peace with each other and peace in our marriages and peace in our parenting and Christ So the angels pay for glory to God in the highest and peace or on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased and don't let that pass you by on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased who's the he there this is God God is pleased with us because of Christ And that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the source of peace. That the Almighty, eternal, all powerful God is pleased with His church, delighted in her, in us. That's peace. That's peace. Let's pray. Father, give us the faith to both humble ourselves and want your glory above all else and give us faith to know that in Christ, we, your church, your beloved bride, your body, your family, that we are pleasing to you and your son. Not pleasing to you in how we dress this morning, not pleasing in our performance, not pleasing in our amount of money or lack of it, but pleasing because of your son. And so, God, give us the faith to receive this, and then grant us peace on earth, even though we may face much trouble. May our peace come in knowing you, and being comforted in the fact that we are your children, and that nothing in heaven and earth can separate us from your love. And so, no matter what we go through here, for faith in your son, give us this peace that we know that we have with you, and that for eternity.